0: All right, we're going. Yeah. Um, it's been a while, and uh, a, a listener told us the la- next time that we have a long absence from the podcast, we're not allowed to talk about that long absence for like a half hour. We can just acknowledge it. We're sorry. We've been away for a while. People have been asking where we, where we are, but we are not going to ramble on about where we've been um, <laughs> or, or apologize, yeah, so to yeah. speak.
1: Hey, hey, life just gets in the way, right? And summer, summer is busy. And we've all been busy with a lot of stuff, stuff in our lives. So um, all we can say is that, yeah, we, our commitment level to, we talked about this, is still absolutely there. You know, we love doing this, this podcast. Uh, we have so much fun we doing do. this. So, hey, we're not going away anywhere. Um, we're going to keep doing these episodes. And I think it's easier come the fall. Um, you know, things aren't as busy, not traveling as much, that type of thing. Um, so I I think going forward, things will get better, um, in that I think our target is what every other week, traditionally, that's kind of what we've done. So yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to be striving for that. So, um, our apologies to those who missed us so much. I I know we have a, um, a a small, but very loyal fan base, which, which is awesome.
0: Makes the heart grow. It's awesome.
1: It's awesome to hear that. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll be around. Don't you worry. We're not going away.
0: Okay, so let's talk about where we've been, what's been going on. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about real estate. This has uh, occupied my world, well, for, since I guess at the end of last year, I started out looking at real estate and wanting to become a real estate investor. And uh, you accompanied me on a, a trip out to Windsor. And we, we so you're, you're familiar a little bit with what I've been doing. But it isn't something I've talked about
1: on this podcast at all, really. Not much, no. No, there hasn't. So, yeah, why don't you um, kind of fill us in as to what exactly this is all about?
0: Yeah, so I guess just to keep it, at least the, the the history of it a little bit brief, but I decided that I wanted to invest in real estate. I've been thinking about it for a while, and end of November last year, I started looking around. You went out to Windsor with me as part of just looking for properties I've been it's been a big journey in terms of what I originally started out looking for and where I'm at now Um, I guess one thing I want to say is that I spent a few months just kind of flopping around in a really tough real estate market back from you know the end of last year into about March April when things were just insane and I decided I needed to get some support so I hired a real estate coach and couldn't have been happier with with that. Uh, it's an, it's an investment to do that, but I'd listened to so many people on different podcasts, read so many books about real estate, and none of it was specific to me and my situation. So I decided, hey, I work a full time job. My wife works a full time job. I need to, I, we need to get some some people that have done this, understand it, and can help us, so we don't make some really big mistakes.
1: Yeah, I'm assuming obviously this consultant, they're not cheap, but at the same time, you know, you have to look at the big picture and that um, if by gaining this knowledge, um, I guess sort of prevents you or, or helps to reduce the likelihood of sort of a, a terrible real estate deal from happening, then it's paid for itself. You hear so many horror stories about people buying their own kind of property or just being in over their heads or not yes. understanding the financial component of it um so for you to have that confidence and that knowledge uh that's that's awesome uh
0: yeah 100% agree the it was the reason why I did it I had I also talked to a couple people who were in the real estate program that I'm in and um just asked them you know give me a little bit of your experience like it is an investment um and, and yeah, you're right. The cost of making mistakes in real estate, which by the way, mistakes in anything are the learning opportunities. So it doesn't hundred percent uh, prevent mistakes from happening. You never, or mistakes or challenges that come up, you weren't expecting. So it doesn't eliminate that. And you still have plenty of learning opportunities. What I think it does is it, prev- it just makes it, it helps you go into whatever you're deciding to do. You're going in with more than one person's mind. It's almost like two, three, five heads that are weighing in on decisions you're making. So you almost have like a, I'll call it a personal board of directors around what, what it is you're doing. And Hey, people pay for people to do their accounting, to do their marketing. And to me, helping me do my business properly is, is a very worthwhile uh,
1: expense. Yeah. That's a good point in that we readily seek expert opinion. You're right when it comes to doing your taxes or, you know, legal opinion or whatever it might be. Uh, so why not do it for real estate? In that this is a huge expenditure and you're taking on a, a big risk and something that you're not familiar with because this is your your first foray into the real estate. Uh, market here as in terms of an investment property. So um, it it can't be understated as to how important it is to, to have that, that knowledge base to draw from.
0: Oh, for sure. And if anybody wants to know more about this, I'm happy to share, you know, who my coaches are, what program I'm in. (laughs) Uh, I'm happy to do that. So email us at, we talked about this 99 at gmail.com. I'm happy to, to personally talk to people about this. And um, yeah. So, I guess in terms of what's been happening, we, I did, I've actually bought two properties. I bought two properties, at the end of July, early August. My, my one for, I'll keep the one that's simpler. I'll mention it first. That that's a property. I did a joint venture with, um, a person who's in our real estate group, a property in Sudbury, Ontario, which is what? Four or five hours no, north four, of Toronto. Four hours. Yeah. Four. Yeah. And, I I did a joint venture, so I'm actually partnering up with a person who owns a few properties up there. He has contacts up there. He has contractors he knows, property managers. He's very familiar with the landscape in Sudbury from a a real estate perspective. From, uh, From that perspective, I wanted to have a partner that knew an area so that I didn't have to go and study an area, which is actually very a very strong real estate market right now in terms of what you can buy houses for and what you can rent them for. So I engaged with a joint venture partner, which was a bit of a process and I'm happy to share that separately with people. Um, And so I closed on a property in in early September in, in Sudbury and my partner will be doing all the heavy lifting on that. Um, So I don't have to worry about all the moving parts that are, that are going on on the Sudbury property. That's going to be mostly my my partner up there that's doing that.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. It, it, you're right it, to have that knowledge of of Sudbury, especially a place that's four hours away. To keep doing trips back and forth, um, trying to gain that knowledge of a particular region. Um, that's, that's a big undertaking. Um, so yeah. It, again, what you what you talked about drawing upon um, the knowledge base of of others. Uh, that's a very smart move.
0: Well, and there's a great book that uh, I learned about through the real estate group that I'm in. It's called "Who Not How," which, in a se- in an essence, is about instead of trying to find how to solve your challenges or how to make something work or happen in a certain place, whether it's real estate or your life or whatever, is you you connect with people who know what they're doing in those specific topic areas. So this is a great example of where I employed the who, not how principle of this book and in, engaged with someone who knew that area. So
1: rather than me trying to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. No, it makes absolute perfect sense. And you, you said you have another property. Why don't you talk about that Yes.
0: One? Yeah. So I bought an, another property in Trenton, Ontario, which is a, an hour and, about 20 minutes from here, which I have to tell you, after you and I went to Windsor, you and I went once, and I went a couple times with our other friend uh, who's uh, a listener, Jason. Yeah, and,
1: and, and, and Windsor's a four-hour drive as well, just so you know the context it of is. it. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it's across the city. I live on the east end of the city, and getting to Windsor means crossing over the city and of Toronto and, it's a nightmare it and it can be four plus hours depending on when you go and traffic and all that. so finding investment property a little bit closer to home and also in an area that's more familiar to me i e the east side of Toronto it has been amazing. um also, my parents live out that way, so I've been able to see them a lot more. but I bought a yeah, I bought a property, it's a duplex, and this property had been on the market for. Oh, just around the time, just before the market shifted here in Canada, back in March, I think it was listed price was for the property. I thought was too much. It didn't make sense for me in terms of what you could rent it for and what you were going to pay for it. You weren't, I wasn't going to be able to cover my expenses and my mortgage and be able to be profitable. So I ignored it. And then the price dropped. I think it was, it was, um, it dropped by about. $80,000. And then I decided to go in with a really low offer, uh, about $50,000 under asking. And they came back and met me halfway. I think it was. Yeah. So it was, we met halfway. I had a home inspection done and I was able to negotiate another 10K off the property. And this is again, where my coaching support helped me uh, negotiate the price down based on some of the findings from the, the home inspection
1: goes to show that a lot of real estate really is all about the timing Uh, as you said if you had purchased this back in march um yeah you would have paid a hell of a lot more for this this property um so yeah just knowing the market um the fact that yeah you were able to get a home inspection which is pretty big in itself because the way you know we should point out for, for those not familiar with what's been going on in the Toronto real estate market, and I, I can't speak for for other areas, but in Toronto, um, up until the late spring, a lot of people refer to it as the Wild Wild West, and that the prices were just absolutely out to, out to lunch. Um, homes that had no business being, you know, over a million dollars or two million or whatever the price might be, and people just purchasing properties without even doing an inspection without even seeing it in person. People are just buying stuff online. Um, and the market has slowed down considerably. Um, things have, I don't know if it's been sort of a market correction, but, um, Needless to say, over the last couple of months, the, the market has really cooled. Plus, there's been interest rate hikes, which has obviously influenced it. So oh,
0: it's influenced it yeah. greatly. That that is that is ninety percent of the reason mm-hmm. why the market corrected because yeah. of the interest rate hikes. So just to give people context, the interest rates uh, were let's call it two-ish, two percent-ish about a year ago, and now are running up around four or five percent. Uh, obviously, it depends on what you're getting. Whether it's a variable mortgage or a, a fixed term. But uh, when I was running my numbers back in early part of this year, I was using I think five percent interest rate just to be super conservative. Maybe even four and a half. And some would argue that was too conservative. Well, now I'm running my all my future deals at seven percent interest because I don't. I think you have to be very careful about about what you're doing because. Right now, interest rates were historically low, or they were they were historically low, and now are about where they kind of should be in, in, in regular times, like 5%-ish. Um, there's probably going to be a little bit more of an increase before the end of the year, and I think it's going to hold. But that, that's really just to highlight the fact that the market did cool. You're right. and And you and I, Went out to Windsor and saw that property. Remember the property we looked at?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and we didn't talk about it too much. Well, yeah, we. I guess this wasn't talked about in, in one of our previous episodes. I think we
0: we've never talked about real estate. No, I, that I, episode, I guess we not. haven't released where we were where we were that
1: that mysterious Windsor episode. Which one day we got yeah. to release that. Anyway, the point being is that, um, yeah, back in March, so some of those properties that we were looking at, um, it was baffling as to how much they were going for. And these were homes that had serious deficiencies as well, because yes. you were able to get home inspections done and, and thank goodness you did. But yeah, some of the, the stuff that came back was pretty scary. Uh, like-
0: but I, I got that home inspection before I even put an offer in, which as you, I think alluded to a second ago, we should clarify that in Toronto anyway, even right now, getting any kind of a contingency built into your offer, like I'll offer you this, but I get to do a home inspection or get to verify financing. That was not a, anything you could do in the landscape that was going on earlier this year. Mm-hmm. You basically had to put an offer in and cross your fingers. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah, there's no way you could get a home inspection done. Otherwise, yeah, you, you're, your offer would never even be looked at. Um. So yeah. only certain markets, like Windsor or Sudbury or Trenton, only those places where you had the ability to to ask for an inspection before you made everything firm and finalized. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's- well, the market now, the market
0: now is allowing for inspections and financing and things like that as as part of your contingency. Um. So anyway, what I ended up doing was buying this property in Trenton. It's a duplex. It's. I looked at it from a few perspectives, and this is important. And I know this isn't a real estate show, but I, th- I think a lot of people are actually quite interested in real estate. So I'll just share that when I ran my numbers about whether this made sense as an investment, I ran them under three scenarios. A short-term rental, like Airbnb, a medium-term rental, which is anything that's uh, more than 30 days. And then long-term rental, which is, you know, months or years and pound for pound, you will be able to make more on a short-term rental basis than you will on a long-term rental basis. However, your frictional costs go up much more when you do short-term because you've got turnover happening every couple of days. Someone has to manage that. I have a full-time job. My wife has a full-time job. So you have to have, we've anyway, have hired A person a who in my earlier example of who not how a who who will manage our property there so that we're not responding to you know what's the what's the code to get in i'm locked out uh we can't be dealing with that from where we're we're at and what we're doing in our lives so um anyway the so we purchased the property and decided to to do it a short term we're Mm going to turn it into an airbnb now the other thing about airbnbs is, is you can't just kind of throw your property up on Airbnb and, and hope for the best. You really do have to ensure that whatever you put on the Airbnb market or system is a quality property that is going to get good reviews. If people rent it, obviously you want people to rent it. So it has to look good and it has to actually be good. Um, I don't know what your experiences with Airbnb are, but I have seen a few times where there's a listing and then you go to the Airbnb and it's like, Oh, yeah, this doesn't quite look like the photos.
1: So Airbnb, I guess when you mention that, it's a sort of similar concept to to VRBO, right?
0: But yep, it's another platform. Yeah, Vrbo yeah, like, or I've, VRBO, yeah, like I've, I've
1: done VRBO quite a few times, and and so far, knock on wood, they've been positive experiences. Um, you know, typically for those, yeah, th- there's a lot of photos, so you have a pretty good idea as to what you're. What you're renting when you when you go to a property, um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. The fact that you are looking at it from a an Airbnb perspective, because you know a lot of people, you're right, just think of property as oh, you know, I got to get a tenant in there, and then you know they, they just view it as is strictly a long term rental. So um, for you to, I guess, think outside the box a little bit and to take on a little bit more risk in that yeah a short-term rental you're going to have certain days where you're going to have vacancies and and if you're okay with with your property not making money on certain days of the week then but it is as long as it's making money overall and right based yeah. on your research yes it should be doing that uh
0: yeah and and that's I did do a lot of research I I talked to two separate Airbnb experts, people that either own properties that are on Airbnb or manage properties on Airbnb and had them look at my property Mm -hmm. and both gave very strong opinions that the property would do extremely well. So that's why I went that route. The, uh, I mentioned the pound for pound thing. Like I should be able to make a lot more money, even with vacant nights, there's going to be some nights it won't be used on a pound for pound, night by night versus month by month, I'll make a lot more as an Airbnb than I will as a, as a long-term rental. And I don't have to worry about the long-term rental. This is something that scares a lot of real, wanna be real estate investors, I guess, which was, I'll count myself among them, is the fear of, oh God, what if I have a bad tenant? Mm-hmm. Um, so with an Airbnb, you're, you're turning over people every couple of days so that risk factor diminishes it doesn't say there aren't other things you have to be concerned about obviously you want to make sure that those who do stay are good quality renters but airbnb that's the purpose of it it's uh it's a system that that it vets both the host and the guests that if you're a bad airbnb guest you can be rated negatively and your your rating is Something that um, can can get you kicked off our Airbnb if if you're not a good renter or, or host guest
1: guest. So what you're saying is that there's little chance of someone going in and trashing your place. <laughs> I guess it can well, always happen, but the likelihood would be pretty low, I guess. But
0: Airbnb insures you against that. So if if that did happen, Airbnb would pay for the damage hmm. that occurred. So this is another thing about that. Uh, there's more costs like you do have to kick back a certain amount to Airbnb. Also having an Airbnb property manager is quite um, a lot more expensive than having a regular property manager just because the the oversight is so much like on a long-term rental, a property manager might get involved once every couple months in something, assuming the tenants good, they, they make sure the rent got paid and they they vetted the tenants often. Um, and then they don't really do a lot unless there's an issue that comes up, which is usually not too often, but an Airbnb every day or every other day, something new is going on. Um, so there's way more oversight. So you have to, you do have to pay more in terms of your costs for, for property management.
1: And that's something you haven't really heard about before is an Airbnb property manager and that, yeah, you're right. It would be a very different job from just, you know, managing long-term rentals. Um, it would be yeah v- very unique in the sense that you're not necessarily dealing with tenants. You're you're more dealing with almost like a hotel type of environment where every few days you're you're turning people over and and just kind of uh, you know vetting people on a more regular basis.
0: Well, Airbnb does a lot of that vetting though. So the the property managers are responsible. I mean, in terms of what they're responsible for they're responsible for keeping the listing and and you can buy different levels of service from property managers in, for Airbnb so i've i've basically bought the deluxe service which is they've helped me design the space so they they took the measurements they looked at the property they looked at the area and decided what would be best in that area in that building in that property the room sizes so they designed everything like what what kind of furniture is going to go in what theme to have like based on the area um and and then they will also manage the listing and they will manage the pricing as well that some nights my property might be and I'm just throwing out numbers might be 249 a night but in other times it might be 350 or 500 based on what's going on in the area like if, if, if the other airbnbs in the area are all booked up then mm-hmm. scarcity right so you 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 can increase your prices and there's algorithms and things that will analyze what's going on out there so c- technologically it's so cool like and and having a property that is listed for 240 versus 270 one night might be the difference between getting your property rented or not rented and you don't want to lose the opportunity to charge more when you can charge more. So the the do it yourself or Airbnb people, I guarantee there are nights they're they're priced too expensive and there are nights they're too cheap and they're losing opportunities, either not getting rented at the higher prices or they're not charging as much as they could be. So those are lost opportunities. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting what you're talking about with the prices and it's all based on algorithms because yeah, many times you wonder how hotels come up with prices. And a lot, yeah, it depends on, on if there's time of year, like if there's like a a tourist event or, um, you know, some kind of a festival or whatever it might be, something that, that is, that draws people into that particular town or city. Um, So for you to not have to research that yourself, that's pretty huge. Um, Because, yeah, imagine you trying to figure out how much to charge and trying to, trying to get an idea as to what's going on in, in Trenton on a particular weekend or a day exactly yeah.
0: exactly no so that's why i've i've I hired the who's for that, that yeah. the who's are an airbnb person that knows what they're doing they, they manage other properties and you're right like the difference between me doing that myself could be costly mm-hmm. and not to mention the 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 stress and anxiety that comes from it i've i've this i've outsourced that to somebody else and i think in the long run that's going to make very good business sense
1: so one final question for you on this can you rent your own airbnb property
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's funny because i've had a few people asking or most mostly in jest i think saying hey well we've got an airbnb if we ever need it like friends of mine and family members and i actually asked my property manager about that i said what what do what about friends and family discounts like how do we how do we handle that and she says you handle it by charging the same amount that you charge anyone else
1: hmm. wow no no love for your friends and family then huh no
0: <laughs> i mean no no it, it just can't be because um you know they also have a vested interest as well mm-hmm. because they're they charge a percentage per rental yeah um, as far as your question, can I rent my own Airbnb? Yes, I can. That's the technically I, by contract, actually, I'm the only one who's allowed to rent, uh, to rent it for no charge or for a reduced charge. Mm-hmm. So let's say no charge. It's part of the contract because every time I rent that property out to someone and, and it's like half price or no charge, they don't make money from that. And yeah. that's part of the arrangement that, uh, and it's fair to me. So anyone who's looking for a discount, sorry, I, I can't offer one. It's mm. it's uh, My contract doesn't allow it. But I'm allowed to rent it, although they did say, please try not to rent it on holiday weekends because that's when we can get the most mm. money for it. So, all right. Um, yeah, so there you go. Sorry, I can tell in your eyes you're disappointed <laughs> that in Trenton. Yeah. By the way, the property is about a 10-minute walk from the Trenton uh, Golden Hawks OJHL team.
1: Okay, all right. Yeah,
0: And I'm hoping maybe uh, as far as who would rent an Airbnb in Trenton, perhaps staff or parents who want to come watch their kids play might rent my Airbnb to to do that. Mm -hmm. Cool stuff. For those who've gone and listened to previous episodes or have been with us since the beginning, and I'm talking since episode one, we've had Simon myself talked about procedures on this show. And now you you were going to share a little bit of uh, an experience around your own procedure,
1: Paul. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, you, as you know, you guys had, uh, talked about that in episode four, which was quite a while ago, but I think it was important that you guys did talk about it to sort of take away any kind of a stigma or misinformation about, uh, procedures. Um, we are as we all get older. Yes, yeah, we right. all get older. I'm I'm 46, and you're over 50. You're 50. Um, you know, we're we're at, we're at that age that uh you got to start thinking about stuff like that. And men's health is always important. Um, I had a colonoscopy done earlier this week. Yeah, yeah, that's a mouthful. Yes, it's, well, yes, it was. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe ma- that yeah, was yeah bad okay, terminology. yeah, bad, yeah, but bad use of words, yeah. Uh, we could come up with we could come up with a few untasteful puns on that one, but anyway, the point being is that yeah, it, it's not to kind of gross you out by saying oh you know don't, let me tell you about my colonoscopy. I don't want to be one of those people that talks about you know operations and procedures and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to bring it up because you know for listeners out there, especially men in their forties or fifties, that. May be on the fence when it comes to stuff like that. It's important to consider that. because um, I will say this, when you talked about your colonoscopy a couple of years back, it helped it helped to to encourage me to get it done in that it's always something that was sort of in the back of my mind. and and there is a, a family history there as well, which sort of influenced my um, my my thought process on on or my desire to eventually get it done. And I will say this: Now that I've had the colonoscopy, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. In that, yeah, as, as you know, you've 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 been down this road before, Clark. In that, the, the preparation aspect was was probably the worst part. You know, yeah. kind of you know starving yourself for a day and a half, and then mm-hmm. the the frequent trips to the bathroom, all that kind of fun stuff. And the procedure itself was. Um, was pretty straightforward like you know obviously you're you're nervous and, and you're anxious going into the procedure but they they put you out so you don't remember a thing and
0: it, that's a big difference eh? yes yeah. uh, i was not put out in when i was i so my mine was in japan yeah and if anyone wants to go back to i think it's episode four and listen to it uh if you dare or wish to yeah. um i was awake for my procedure And yeah, so you, you kind of went in, I guess, and closed your eyes and woke up and it was all over. Oh
1: yeah, exactly. I didn't remember a thing about it. So yeah, I recall that from, from your episode and that you, I, I, yeah, you, you weren't put out completely. So is it different being, having it done in Japan and, in and for your case, having it done in a foreign country, that would have been pretty nerve wracking. Like for me. You know, having it done at the local hospital, and and it was it was pretty straightforward. There was no hiccups, or there was no unknowns. You know, the the instructions. They pre- how do you know you were sleeping? Yeah, <laughs> no. What I meant was Who that knows the, what was going on. Well, the the instructions, like the, the preparation instructions, and all of that, was very straightforward. Um, right. You know, the, you knew exactly what to do and what not to do, and all that kind of stuff. So once you, you know, going into the 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 day surgery. You know, you, you knew that I had checked off all the boxes, and you know was was going to get done, and and I was, uh, you know, anticipating no no problems. Um,
0: yeah, I know you mentioned family history. Was the per, was you getting this last week because of something that came up, or was this a was this, you just decided I just should go get it checked out? Like, did you have some symptoms of something?
1: Kind or? of both. Like, I did have have symptoms a while back and, and my doctor said you know probably not a bad idea to to get it done and get it checked out uh, but I was sort of a, a willing participant in the sense that yeah like it's something that I, I felt that was the right decision and that I I wanted to get it done anyway just because of you know other other issues and in people that I had an acquaintance that I knew a couple years back who who died at the age of 50 from colon cancer and he had never been screened before. So situations like that, um, where it, it's sort of in the in the back of your head, in the sense that, yeah, why not? Why not get it done? You know, th- there's no reason why you shouldn't. You know, the the one time you you decide to not get something done, uh, it can be a very costly decision. So, th- yeah, the reason why I wanted to to bring this up today is is just to kind of reassure people like sort of like a a public service (laughs) announcement in that if there's anyone who has thought about it or um, maybe had some misgivings as to you know should I get a colonoscopy I just wanted to kind of put it out there to say it's it's not as bad of an experience as people kind of say it is Um, you know yes it's an inconvenience yes it's not the most nicest but you'll be glad when you have it done and it gives you that peace of mind. So um for, well, for,
0: do you have results yet? Oh yeah, I know
1: everything was perfectly clear. So again, good, every, good, good all all good news, so I'm I'm happy to say that and it it takes a, a a weight off your chest knowing that hey, that's one thing you don't have to worry about. Um I said you know for for us that are you know late 40s early 50s that we're at that age where you got to start thinking about stuff like that. Um, so for any listeners out there, I I'd strongly encourage you to uh, to look after yourself and, um, you know, get the test done and get a colonoscopy. Do what you need to do to and you, you'll, you'll be glad that you did it.
0: Paul, I recently was named full time announcer for the Pickering Panthers of the OJHL.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. We we talked about that back in the spring when you were doing that on a part-time basis, and you were hoping that you would you were going to be the full-time guy. So it's it was made official a few weeks ago. So Hardy, congratulations on that as the full-time public address announcer for the Pickering Panthers. Good stuff.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and briefly, opening night, home opener was on Friday. The Panthers were the winner of the Buckland Cup, which is the ojhl o- championship so i had a lot of work to do on opening night uh, with the ring ceremony presentation of the cup um i got to meet rob pearson who's the coach, the gm and coach of the panthers it was actually quite professional when i showed up they took me right into the manager's office to discuss the ceremony um we shook hands i felt like i was part of the team and mm-hmm. Last year I was a fill-in announcer. So I was just more like a guy that just sort of went in the back door and went into the booth and did my thing and then got the hell out of there. Whereas this time I was welcomed much more as like a, a member of the team, which was re- actually really cool.
1: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh it shows how much confidence they had in you. Because yeah, that's uh for the opening night, that's no small task. Um, so the fact that they have welcomed you with, with open arms and and you are now considered part of the team and you'll be uh, listed on the, on the team program or whatever it might be. Uh, so yeah, that's awesome. It's, uh, It's, it's quite an accomplishment.
0: I got some feedback too, from the captain of the Panthers. He, uh, he spent a considerable amount of time in the penalty box, which, uh, we were, our, our booth is in the middle of the, the two penalty boxes. So we get some animated discussions or things going on between the two penalty boxes and, um, the the captain of the Panthers was had like a ten minute misconduct and then he had like a couple penalties. So he spent a lot of time in in the penalty box and during one of the breaks in action, he actually yelled over. He's like, Hey man, are you the new announcer? And I said, Yeah. He says, You're good, man. I love how you say my name. Nice. Yeah, like, hey, thanks, thanks. It's like, yeah, yeah, really good. Last guy was pretty, pretty mellow, like too mellow, too mellow. You're, you're good, man. Nice. And like, you know, it's like, wow, okay, awesome. So it was nice to get that feedback from the captain. Yeah.
1: So yeah, you're, you're, you're in the club, buddy. Well done. So are you? Um, I guess how many games in a season? Like, what kind of commitment is this?
0: So I think there's thirty five. 30 regular 30 or 35 regular season home games. I only do the home games on the, and for people that aren't sure what this is on the PA announcer, which is the person who announces like, does the player introductions at the beginning of the game. I do the, the penalties, the goal scoring. Um, Yeah. The general, I read out the advertisements, the sponsors, Uh, yeah, so I'm like a bit of a master of ceremonies to a certain degree. I certainly felt like that one on opening night, but that's, that's the role of the PA. I'm not the guy calling the plays on the, on the ice. That's another person that does that. I'm, I'm, I do the, over the loudspeaker PA announcements, which, uh, as a kid, I always dreamed of doing it for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Blue Jays. So this is kind of a bucket list thing
1: for me. Yeah. And we, we talked about before, you know, Pickering Panthers, um, they're in a league that is, is semi-professional. Like this is no small thing that you're part of. Um, kind of like one level down from the OHL, if I'm not mistaken, in, in terms yep. of the, the, the professionalism. So this yeah. is amazing experience. Um, you know, and it looks great on a resume and, and something that you can parlay into maybe something bigger and better. But in the meantime, yeah, it's you're part of something pretty cool. And, uh quite the the vote of confidence from, from the Pickering Panthers, from various members of that. So, uh, cool stuff. Um, I will definitely be coming to quite a few games this year, checking things out. I hope others do as well. Cool.
0: I hope so too. It's it's great when you have friends and family there and my wife came to watch. Um, I told her that this will probably be the most speaking I'm going to do all year in this opening ceremonies thing. So, I said just come for that and watch maybe the first period and you can leave if you Mm -hmm. want after that (laughs) yeah and my son's also working now there as a volunteer so he's working the concession stand which is good good because he's getting some volunteer time for school hours and uh, it's actually a chance for him to kind of have a job his first job Hmm,
1: that's pretty cool so working the concession stand obviously that's during the intermissions i'm assuming um, so yeah or the whole oh, game okay. actually but I guess, he's
0: there the whole game. but I guess
1: he still gets to watch and, and watch the game and yep. listen to you and all that kind of stuff so yeah yeah awesome two days ago I was at uh, the Killers concert Um hopefully most people have heard of here in Toronto yeah right? here in Toronto it was at uh, Scotiabank Arena Uh the Killers Um hopefully most people may have heard of them but they're they're a pretty mainstream band they're um music is on the radio a lot so anyway the point being is that um yeah my wife and i went to a concert on friday night and in in the row in front of us there was a family of four um parents had had brought their kids and these kids were probably you know maybe like 12 13 or something like that and the entire concert they're wearing those those noise cancelling headphones and okay
0: or the, you mean like the ear protection
1: things? Yeah. Yeah. The ones you, you put over your head. And, you know, I, I get that concerts are loud. I, I understand. And some kids can be sensitive to, to loud noise. But it was where these kids were just like, were so disinterested in this concert. I think one of them was sleeping at one point. <laughs> and it was just, it was. How old are we talking? So I said probably around 12, 13 years old you know maybe maybe 10 i don't know it's kind of hard to gauge but they were probably yeah in or around that age so they weren't like super young kids but they were old enough that you know they could have been left with with someone else with a babysitter i don't know but it's it just struck me as as odd that first of all you know these kids would have these these noise canceling headphones um but more so the fact that these kids just didn't want to be there like they were just kind of like you know, had their head buried and or looking at their phones, or just as I said, one kid I'm sure was I think I saw him like nod off and go to sleep or something like that at one point in the concert. And it's just okay, concert tickets aren't cheap. Like let's say they're at least over a hundred dollars a person. Mm-hmm. So to spend a hundred bucks to to literally drag your kid to a concert that they had absolutely zero, zero interest in being there. I just thought it was a kind of an odd scenario. So you know, like the, the, my wife and I would, would peer over everyone once in a while and look at these this strange sight of this this very peculiar family and these these kids that literally did, did not want to be there. And it just struck me as, why would you bring your kid, like why would you bring them out to something like that? Like, Well, you- it was
0: probably planned too because uh, if they bought, because you don't really just, you know, you can't get babysitting and then just bring your kids along yeah. to a concert unless you had four tickets and two adults or four adults were going and then, the other two adults had to bail mm. so you could take your kids with you or three adults, whatever, but, but more, uh, assuming it was planned that they yeah, wouldn't bring these kids just, from the beginning. I just
1: think it's weird that first of all, you know, you, you'd spend the money on, on two people t- to bring two additional people that had absolutely zero interest in being there. So, you know, from a money standpoint, but secondly, like, man, there's gotta be a better way. Like even if you can't get sitters and maybe you just don't go, but to, to, literally drag your kids and these kids look absolutely miserable at this concert they just did not want to be there let's say if my son wanted to go to the concert i would absolutely bring him and i would give him maybe some earplugs or something just to kind of help him out because i realize that concerts can be very 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 loud i guess so you
0: had no problem with the fact that these kids had the ear protection on that way that isn't a criticism no
1: not so much the ear protection well okay well hold on a second these were noise cancelling headphones so what, Okay,
0: let's establish the difference between what a person slaps on their head when they go out and cut the lawn yeah. or work, like use machinery or something, mm-hmm. and, and noise-canceling headphones, which are literally, it blocks out ambient noise so that yeah. you can listen to, usually to something that you're plugged into, like like on an airplane,
1: what, what do you mean when you say noise canceling headphones? Well, they, they had, well, they had like the, the headphones that you put over and like the the ones that fully cover your ears. So to you know,
0: protect your hearing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. th- these, so these, like these, the f- ones
0: you throw on and like uh when you're cutting the grass or something.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like these, you, you see them a lot. I know a lot of parents use them, Yeah, you know, for kids to protect them from, from loud mm-hmm. noises. Um, so I, I understand the the concept of the noise canceling headphones, but the thing is, is that you're at a concert, and if you're canceling the noise, and what's the point in being there?
0: Well, you can y- still y- hear it. It's not like it's muted.
1: Yeah, it just I just takes I guess the so edge
0: off. True, you still it's, hear.
1: The- yeah, assuming you can still hear the music, I guess. Um, you can. You know, like because my wife and I, we had debated bringing my son to the concert. who's he's eleven who would have been around the same age as, as these two kids. Yeah, And we would have given him earplugs in that he could, you know, with earplugs, you can kind of adjust it so that, you know, if it gets,
0: you're better to hard. give them noise cancel or I don't even want to call them noise canceling. Cause that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ear protection. Yeah. I would have, you given- would be better with the over ear things. Cause earplugs are, they're way more finicky and they can yeah. fall out. And I think the ear protection, it looks kind of goofy, but mm. it's, it's, still the better route I think than than
1: earplugs. Mm. Well e- either way, you know, we would have given him some kind of plugs or something because I realize it gets noisy, but the whole point is that these kids were so miserable looking sitting at this concert. I just thought it was strange that yeah, first of all you'd spend the money to to drag them out and secondly, they're at a at an old enough age that they could have stayed at a friend's house or relatives somewhere other than being at a concert and looking absolutely miserable and and not having any desire to want to be there. So it was just a, an odd sight. You know, when you're in a concert, everyone's, you know, up and dancing and just kind of into the, the, into the music, into the scene. And then you look over this aisle and you got these two kids with like this, you know, miserable look on their face with, you know, feeling sorry for themselves that their parents dragged them to this concert. <laughs> right.
0: All right. Well, let's move on. So right now, Aaron Judge is uh I don't know did he do did he hit a home run last night just
1: before we get into this I don't think no he's still stuck at number 60
0: 60 okay yeah. so Aaron Judge is chasing the well he's tied with Babe Ruth for all t- like home runs in the season and if he hits 61 he'll tie Roger Maris for for the 61st home run and um there's been a lot of talk about if he hits this this ball and it ends up in the stands and a fan gets it, um, what what should be done with that ball? Like it's going to be a very meaningful ball for the for Aaron Judge. Also, Albert Pujols just hit his 700th home run, which breaks a record for the, I think the most home runs by a, a Hispanic player or certainly a Dominican player. Mm-hmm. And so the debate. Um, is like, what about when the ball ends up in a fan's hands? Should he just give the ball back to the, the player? Should he get compensated for it? How much should he be compensated for it? So my question for you, Paul, is if you're sitting in the stands at Yankee Stadium, because I think there's a difference between whether it's at Yankee Stadium where where that's the home team where he he plays for the Yankees, or if it's in Toronto, if you catch that ball and don't get pummeled by the million and one Yankees fans who are going to want that ball, let's say you get it and you're safe. Do you just give the ball back to Aaron Judge when the staff member from the Yankees w- approaches you and says, hey, Mr. Judge would really like that ball back. Could you please give it to us? What do you? What would you do in that scenario?
1: You know, for me, because I'm a – well, especially when it comes to baseball, I'm, I'm a, I am appreciate the, the true – you know, the, the history behind the game for me. Yeah. If, if a player wanted that ball back, uh, I would probably, yeah, I think I would offer it. I, I think part of me would also expect that the team would give something and and normally they would, I, I think in every, in every circumstance where someone sort of gives back a momentous, you know, a ball or whatever it might be, depending on, on, on the sport. Um, You know, typically it would be the team that would say, you know, we'll give you something in return, like a we'll get Aaron Judge to sign a bat for you or something like that. Right. Um. So yeah, I don't know if there would be maybe maybe an expectation that you would get something in return. Um. So yeah, there and it's interesting. How
0: much is this thing worth, though? Like, is it worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to somebody? Like.
1: So you know, and, and, and if you're
0: just going to get a signed autog- an autograph bat back from yeah. me, judge for breaking Roger or for tying Roger Maris's record or, or breaking Roger Maris's yeah. record is a signed bat mm-hmm. enough for you. Like yeah. uh, what I, I don't know. That, it seems like
1: that that's a tough question because it's, yeah, it's interesting. Again, you, you asked that because I'm, I'm looking at an article here. This is on the score and the article is about obviously Albert Pujols and the, the, 700 home runs. And it says here that Pujols isn't worried about the number 700 home run ball. Um, <clears throat> he was quoted as saying souvenirs are for the fans. And so yeah, uh, Albert Pujols said that post game Friday after he hit mm. the home run. And he said, quote, I don't have any problem if they want to keep it, if they want to give it back, that's great. But at the end of the day, I don't focus on material stuff. It says the fan who caught the ball. And this is at Dodger stadium where he hit the, the home run. Uh, Which f- is not the team he plays for. So yeah. he was
0: in a out-of-town yeah. stadium,
1: visiting stadium, yeah. Yeah, this was out-of-town. He says, the fan who caught the ball for number 700 got it authenticated and left the stadium. Uh, hmm. The man was approached and presented offers by the Cardinals, but intends to keep the ball. Hmm. And Some believe the ball could be worth as much as six figures. Hmm. It says... <clears throat> "Quote unquote," I think it's a solid ball. Somebody in St. Louis could be excited about that. Uh, I think it's a hundred thousand dollars. Was one was a uh, memorabilia expert is what they estimated the ball would be. So, you know what? If it's worth a hundred thousand dollars, no, I think I maybe would keep it. <laughs>
0: Keep it as in and then sell it or try yeah, to get it, someone to pay for it.
1: Yeah, sell it to a, a collector or something like that. Cause yeah, for a hundred, if if that ball I caught was worth a hundred thousand dollars, then yeah, I think I would want compensation for that, uh, versus just kind of handing it back and walking away.
0: Well what- I find it interesting that they actually authenticated it for him mm-hmm. um without him agreeing to give it Back And I wonder what the procedure is for that.
1: No, I, I think that's automatic in that baseball, Major League Baseball does that automatically for anything, any kind of a, a souvenir or, or a collectible item that has some kind of si- a significance to it. So, yes. yeah, I'm sure, a, a, you know, some kind of an official person went over as soon as the guy caught the ball and, and they, they would have authenticated it for him. And that's, but it's that, not
0: for him. It's for the ball and for the player For that's authenticated,
1: exactly. Yeah, they would have done that to protect themselves as well, so that there is only one authenticated baseball out there that yeah. signifies it's the seven hundred home run ball. Because, yeah, and as the person who who caught the ball, you'd want it authenticated anyway, so that you know that it's the real deal. Otherwise, well, I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you said I
0: did not know yeah. that. I know the authenticate because if someone you see it all the time, someone mm-hmm. gets their hundredth hit or hundredth home run, they throw the ball over and you see the team collect it and bring mm-hmm. it to the back room somewhere, or some or someone nearby puts a sticker on it and mm-hmm. verify. puts it into it's actually a process for sure. It gets put in logged into a system, but what I just find interesting, I had no idea that the ball would be authenticated. Like when it exits in into the stands. If you don't willingly say, hi, everybody, or hi, organization, I got the ball, I could see them, if you're in the process of returning it, then they would authenticate it. But if you're just going to run off, I find that interesting that they actually will authenticate it. It makes sense, but I didn't know that's how it worked, that when it went into the stands like that and you were sort of clutching it and saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm keeping it would they authenticate it? And you're saying, yeah,
1: yeah, no, the answer is yes. They they do authenticate it because even though you may keep it at a later date, you may change your mind and sell it in which case, yeah, yeah you want to make sure it's the real deal and that they, they can track the whereabouts of this ball so that there's not, you know, counterfeit balls out there that, you know, you got six balls claiming that they're the 700 home run. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. It makes, makes perfect sense. And I'm, I'm glad that major league baseball does do that so that there is, um, accountability and and there's reliability in the sense that the the items because you never know at one point that ball many years from now could be donated to the hall of fame or something like that and you want to make sure it is the original ball
0: you know what i would ask for here's what i want i want a weekend with the team Hmm. i want to go on a friday night and be part of the process from like 2 p.m. onwards till Sunday with the team, where I'm I'm allowed to shadow the team, I'm allowed to be on the field for batting practice, not necessarily take batting practice, but I want to be with the team for, for a weekend. Mm-hmm. That would be my wish for catching something significant or getting something significant. That would be my ask, would be a weekend with the ball club.
1: Yeah, and that's pretty cool. You know, and think about it, it's, as I said before, if there's – a ball that's potentially worth a hundred thousand dollars. <throat> then spending a weekend with the team. If that's worth a hundred thousand dollars to you, then if that what if that is what makes you happy, then then you do that. Other people may want the cash. Other people may want those season tickets for life or whatever it might be. So I th- I would I th-
0: just feel like a bit of an asshole if I'm like I think. There would be a little part of me that would wonder: Does this team? Am I like this, like pariah in the clubhouse? <laughs> that here's that asshole who's here because he kept the ball, wouldn't give it back unless we let him hang out with us. Mm. Uh, I think I'd feel better about that, and I think the team would, than me saying you got to pay me two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, because that would make me feel a little bit more like I'm I'm a bit of a a leech, if you will. Mm. To me. Oh, of course I, who couldn't use $200,000 or whatever they would be willing to pay. Um, I like the idea of experiences mm-hmm. that are priceless. Yeah. So spending a weekend with the ball club will never, ever happen unless a situation like this comes up. I like, I think experiences, and this could be a topic of <laughs> <in> <laughs> of itself is the value of an experience like that is, is priceless to 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 be able to hang out with the ball club. Think about that. For me, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm on the field for batting practice. I I can talk to the players. I can look at what's going on. I I wake up with the team. We go to breakfast. Um, I go to the early to the game the next day. Like um, even cooler, probably if it was a road game. But even then, home stadium that could be cool. Imagine being at Yankee Stadium from front to end, like on a Friday to Sunday, yeah. hanging out with the ball team that absolutely uh, that's what i would mm-hmm. do that's what i would ask for
1: yeah well hey if that's worth a hundred thousand dollars to you then absolutely then then that's that's your decision other people might want the cash others yeah it, are you every, saying everything that the is, uh, is different so I, I agree with you i don't believe in necessarily holding it for ransom and trying to get a high bid but as long as you're fair about it, i i think yeah if you if you capture a ball that has some high value <clears throat> such as a hundred thousand dollars. And yeah, absolutely. You're entitled to something of value in return. So it's up yeah. to you as to what, what it is that you get back in return, whether that's season tickets or whatever it might be.
0: Okay. So the queen passed away, which um, at this time of recording was, I guess a couple weeks ago. And then there was the long process of, in all the different events that happened and up leading up to the final day of where she was put to rest uh did you watch any of the the- first of all was this meaningful to you that were you sad about that that she passed away and and that didn't did you follow the 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 events that pers- that took of place after up right up to the burial like what what did what was your how did you react to this
1: well the answer for me would be i guess yes to everything um for me as as we know my mother is from England, so I have a family connection i have direct ties to royal England. blood. Yeah, not royal blood. Yeah, although some days I like to think so. But no, I I obviously have a direct um, connection with with England. So yeah, the the royal family is something that um yeah I've always been interested in and, and it's something I've always been exposed to. Um I I have the, the ancestral roots that sort of tie me to that. Um whereas I respect the fact that other people who may not have um, you know, British ancestry may not have that connection to to what goes on with with the monarchy, but you know whether you're you're British or not, I think everyone has certain degree of curiosity or, or intrigue with what goes on with with the royal family. But you know, with the passing of the Queen, <clears throat> what we saw over the last few weeks it it's certainly an unprecedented event because for most people out there the the queen having been on the throne for over 70 years <clears throat> she's the only monarch that most people have ever known so to be able yeah. to to watch a funeral of of a monarch um is a very historic event so you know even regardless of whether or not you have your direct connections to to britain just to to watch that event itself is something that has never been broadcast before. Um, but yes, to answer your question, I, I did watch the the, the funeral. I, I did uh, record it and, and watched it certain points of it throughout the day. <clears throat> it was a very you know long ceremony. Um, lots of you know parades and processions and everything, but it, it was. You know, interesting. I didn't watch it from you know exact start to exact finish, but I, I watched bits and pieces of it, and certainly got the the idea of what it was about, um, and was able to appreciate the, the grandeur and, and the importance of of the moment. Um, so, yeah, it was a very yeah, interesting and, and, and poignant event. Um, how about yourself? Did you watch any of it?
0: I didn't really watch much. Um, we don't have cable, so my only way of following this would have been—I know YouTube broadcast uh, the events. So we don't have cable. Um, I mean, my reaction to her passing away, I think, goes back to what you said. She's the monarch that's been in power for my whole parents, well, most of my parents' life, my whole life. My my parents' parents would have would have known who the queen was. Um, and I think she would have been in power when my parent, my father's, well, certainly when my father's mother was alive. Absolutely. Um, so there's that significance that I mean, since the early days of elementary school, seeing her portrait on the wall and and being told why it was there, uh, it goes back to my young days. So she's been there in the background. Uh, I also watched the series The Crown, which uh, gave you know whether it's how real it is, who knows, but it still gives you some peek into what life might be like (laughs) for the Royals. You know, of course we had the whole Diana funeral, which was what, 30 years ago now, almost God. Um, I watched that one from front to back just because it was same here. So that one I watched just because it, it just seemed like a different time back then. My life, we had cable and, And and that was a shocking death. Like, that was really shocking. And I think I sought the funeral almost as a way to, uh, it sounds dramatic, but come to terms with it to a certain degree, just because of how shocking it was. And I I would say the queen dying kind of just kind of showed up out of nowhere. Like, yeah, she's 96 or was. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody knew the day was going to come but for me i was sort of measuring it up against the queen mother who died at i think 101 or 102 so i always thought the queen might have had a few more years left in her so when she when she did pass away cuz there weren't really a lot of talks about her
1: health at least that i had heard about well nothing you know, that <clears throat> get like a, yeah nothing that was imminent until it was actual the day of that they said the Yeah exactly yeah.
0: so no i didn't watch it i did watch a few minutes of some of the of, of the pieces and um, I don't know if the BBC version or whatever you were watching had anyone speaking, but in the, in the YouTube broadcast, nothing was being said at all. It was just like, it seemed like it was just a stream. Was there like anyone talking through the broadcast of it or was it complete silence?
1: Um, so I was watching it on CTV cause I do have cable. Um, and yes, there was obviously commentators and interviews and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think when you have commentators and, and you know so-called royal experts and in people offering opinions and just to kind of explaining, you know, some of the ceremonies and, and what goes on, um, I think that right. that helps to make people understand as to you know the the traditions and, and the the rationale behind um, certain events and things that go on within the the very long funeral procession because obviously it's a Funeral procession like no other. Um, I think most people, I'd say, were pretty interested in what was going on, and and maybe shows like The Crown might have something to do with that because I think that that drew a lot of people in to to have a renewed interest in the monarchy in in, in the royal family. Um, and we've talked about The Crown in previous episodes, and when we uh, what we're watching. Segment because I'm a I'm a big fan of that I've I've watched every episode of The Crown, so yeah to to have the the Queen passing it was uh, it was a it was a big deal and it was a big deal to 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 Britain um, you know a lot of people make a, a a lot of comments about you know is the monarchy is it diminishing um but if you take a look at the lineups of people that were um, that you know, we're, we're lining up to, to pay their respects to to the coffin when she was lying in state. Uh, Twenty four hour wait, if not more. Like it was, they, yeah. they're they're showing like the the um, the length of these lineups, and it was absolutely I- incredible. Um, so the, the you know the millions of people that uh, were engaged in this this royal funeral um, shows that I think the monarchy is is still very much alive. And um, people still care.
0: You know, we were going to talk in a previous episode about Shinzo Abe. He is the the prime minister of Japan that was assassinated, I guess, a couple months ago now. Mm -hmm. And I actually was Googling what the cost of the queen's funeral was. And the first article article that came up was that Shinzo Abe's funeral will be more expensive than the queen's. Really? Um, Yeah. Roughly estimated in U.S. dollars to be $15 million dollars spent on the funeral for Shinzo Abe, whereas the queen's funeral, I'm looking here at figures of around seven and a half million, they're, they're saying, which actually I thought seems low. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that includes the security and all that, because I would have thought this would be like a hundred million dollar type of expense.
1: Yeah. Cause I think the security component would probably be the most expensive part, especially when you have um, all those heads of state that attended the funeral. Um, yeah. But I guess a lot of heads of state would incur their own security costs. Um, but yeah, I, yeah I,
0: maybe I, it's just for the like. Maybe I don't know if it includes that part, like the 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 public infrastructure aspects of. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's yeah. It says here um, for reference the 2002 funeral for the late monarch's mother, Queen Elizabeth. Was estimated to have cost over nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the lying in state period and five million for security in total. So that's back in two thousand two. So I, I got to think that uh, that that's that that is uh, going to be significantly more expensive. But that, mm-hmm. not to take it off t- on a tangent, but there's a lot of outrage in Japan apparently about the fact that Shinzo Abe's funeral is going to be uh, costing the I guess the taxpayers there. 15 million roughly U S dollars, um, which is probably a lot more than what they're spending on the queen, at least when you're comparing the apples to apples of whatever that figure represents. Um, so,
1: so let me, let me understand. So Abe's funeral, his state funeral is being held this week, right?
0: Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause
1: I remember reading it's somewhere a long that long time after that, though, right? Yeah. I think Trudeau was scheduled to attend the funeral or something like that. Um, but he was assassinated at least 2 months ago so i wonder yeah. why there's such a delay it's
0: maybe there maybe it's just more of a mm-hmm. maybe there's more of just a maybe it's ceremonial in nature that i i would hope they're not mm-hmm. rolling his you know now decomposed <laughs> Body um, down the streets of of, of Tokyo. Um, sorry to be crude; don't mean to be offensive, but uh, it maybe it's more ceremonial in nature, more of a recognition of it than actual yeah. burial. But I don't know; I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it just strikes me as a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised when you said that his funeral um, expenditures would probably be be more than than the Queen's. Um, I, I'd be interested to know why.
0: I do want to talk about Will Smith. (laughs) Will Smith, I recently heard his name mentioned. There's some sort of an Apple. I think it's Apple has got uh, emancipation. Maybe it's called a new TV series or or miniseries. I'm not exactly (laughs) sure a movie um, that is being held in terms of releasing it because of the slap heard around the world.
1: Happened at the Oscars, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. So yeah, it's no secret that that Will Smith has definitely felt this in the pocketbook. Um, there's been a lot of projects that he's been dropped from, both um, yeah. projects that he was set to star in, and also projects that he was also going to be producing as well, because he he's quite a, a prominent producer behind the scenes within Hollywood. So. Yeah, this uh, this slap heard around the world, which I'm sure you know, we all agree it's way over exaggerated by the media. It's just something that they've really grabbed hold of and and really well, m- milked it for what it's worth. Uh, not taking away the fact that it is a very absurd event which took place. Okay, but- well, hold on a sec.
0: So you're okay. So maybe to some people it isn't been it hasn't been exaggerated by the media. So let's just take that for a sec. Are you saying that, like, was what Chris, what happened to Chris Rock, what Will Smith did, uh, do you believe that him being kicked out of the Oscars or the the Academy or whatever for 10 years or whatever they've done and that now the backlash, do you think that's been, do you think that's fair?
1: Yeah, I, I agree that there has to be accountability for his actions and to, you know, kick him out of the Academy for 10 years. Yeah, I guess that's probably the right call because you have to make a statement to state that that kind of behavior is unacceptable at a at a live award show. But it's weird that I think that a lot of these studios have decided that Will Smith you know, should be penalized and that shouldn't it be the, the fans, shouldn't it be the, the general public to decide whether or not they still want to see Will Smith movies? Like to to some people, okay, yeah, I may not agree with what he did, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna stop watching his movies. you know I, I I like Will Smith. I think he's he's a good actor and and typically he's in good movies. um like he, he does quality stuff. So I don't think that would deter me from watching any of his movies. I wouldn't say, oh, I'm not turning that movie on because Will Smith is in it. Um, you know that that's that's my judgment call if I want to see him. Um, but to a lot of these studios that are just dropping them like a hot potato, I I think that's very sort of unfair. It's they're, you know, what I I think that the man kind of should be judged based on on what he did and, and let's move on. Let's not keep harboring this.
0: Well, so what's basically happened here is Apple is now saying they're going to release this, his movie emancipation in December. And, The consensus, well, so I guess I want to ask you, should this movie be released?
1: Yeah, why not? Um, Why wouldn't it be? Okay.
0: Well, will it just be ignored? Will people not watch it? And is it better for Apple to maybe hold on to it for another year and wait till the dust settles a bit more?
1: Well, that's a gamble on their part, but you just don't know. Um, If it's a good movie, then people... Either you know, let people make that decision themselves as to whether or not they want to uh, watch it or not. For me, it's not going to affect my decision. If if it looks like a good movie, I'll watch it. And I, so you won't be there.
0: You could, so will you be there thinking? Ah, they, yeah, the, you'll think of the slap incident. Will that overtake the viewability of whatever you're watching?
1: I don't think so. Yeah, it's obviously going to be sort of. He's always going to be labeled with that probably for the rest of his career or certainly good many years. But as someone that likes Will Smith movies, and he is a popular, well was a popular actor leading into this. We don't know how he's going to fare going forward, but in, until the, the studios release one of his movies, we they don't know how, how the public is going to react. Um, you know, so for example, he—I guess—the most recent movie he did was was King Richard, uh, which is about uh, Venus and Serena Williams, and he was excellent in that. He did—he did a fantastic job. Um, right. So you know, judge the movie for what it is, and okay, he slapped someone, so yeah, obviously it was bad behavior, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's a pariah, and on uh, doesn't mean that his his movie should be boycotted from now on. You know, I think him I think he is kind of a pariah to be honest. Well, we don't know. And, and until some of his movies come out, we we don't know how people are going to react to it. No,
0: so, but that's different than whether he's a pariah or not. Yeah. A pariah. Like to me that what yeah. happened there makes him a pariah. Yeah. Um I think there's more history to it that is underneath it that we don't know about. Oh yeah, we right. don't it probably is, yeah. So uh, I think it's, will he ever emerge from the ashes of this and, and be able to continue on
1: business as usual? Um, I think, it, I think so. Yeah. I think, it, I think eventually so. he will, like, it's going to take some time, but people will, will move past it. And trust me, there's people that have done a hell of a lot worse and have been forgiven. You know, people yeah. that have been mixed up with, you know, sexual abuse scandal or or drugs or whatever it might be, you know, abuse and, and they get forgiven. So you know, for what Will Smith did, it just the only difference is that it was on live TV. Um, but yeah. you know, for what he did, probably wasn't that much worse than what a lot of other people in Hollywood have done. So I, I personally think it's it's been made way too big of a deal, and that it's time to, to stop talking about it and and, and move on.
0: We um, we've talked about Facebook pages, Facebook particular face neighborhood Facebook pages and uh, some of the weird things that get posted um, very quickly. uh, I saw a post on my neighborhood Facebook today. It was a picture of a Fox on a front lawn and it was saying, Oh, uh, so cute. And it made me think if that was a, a coyote or some other sort of animal that maybe isn't considered cute, would we still call it cute? And is it okay that the coyote is sitting on someone's front lawn or is now it call emerge, call animal control, call the police, shoot the thing, apprehend it. Or by the nature of the fact that it's cute looking, gets it a free pass somehow.
1: Yeah. I think it probably does get a free pass because of it being quote unquote cute. Um, I think that a lot of these Facebook neighborhood, Facebook pages do make such a huge deal out of about, um, you know a lot of these animal sightings you know are where i live it's it's you know it's the same same story where i am where you know somebody goes on and says you know there's a coyote sighting or or there's a fox sighting or whatever I, I think it's way people way overreact um yes i realize i realize that there is sometimes incidents that do happen but it's pretty few and far between um But yeah, I I guess you're right that the whole cute versus menacing, it it is a bit of a debate there because I'm sure that if it was a, a, you know, if you saw a hyena on someone's front lawn, it would be a a huge spectacle.
0: Now, in fairness, if a fox is a more docile animal versus a coyote, maybe maybe it's fair to call it cute. But I I think the the point I'm making is that ugly animals, even if they're not um, dangerous – they don't get the same cachet as a, a cute animal. So like a baby raccoon, for instance, will be endeared and, and uh, you know, any baby animal. But if it's the adult version, then it's seen as, a, as, a, as something sinister. Um, so I guess I just wanted to point out that just because an animal's cute, does that mean it's a good thing that it's... And why does it get the deserved attention or why does it get attention?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like,
0: I guess like humans, right? The, the good looking people get all the attention.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe so. All
0: right. Something that's really been bugging me, Paul recently. Um, <clears throat> I think it was a few months ago, betting laws in Ontario changed that allowed for online sports betting to be brought on shore and I didn't look up the history of it. Get our producer maybe to pull it up for us. Uh, but online betting is now something you can do in Ontario here in Canada uh, that uh, previously had to be done offshore. And what's happened now is that there has been an um, incredible amount of advertising for online sports betting. Bet three
1: sixty, uh, yeah, a whole bunch of these M- MGM, like th- there's a whole bunch MGM. of different ones and. Yeah, I agree 100 percent that this these commercials are freaking irritating as hell. Because um, you know, I like to watch the, the the Toronto Blue Jays broadcasts, and being on cable television on on Sportsnet, I guess the marketing component of it really caters to obviously people who watch sports. So. Mm-hmm. for whether it's hockey or baseball or whatever it is you're watching, seems like every commercial break, there's at least one of these commercials that's plugging one of these gambling sites. And, you know, the, these commercials are very repetitive and, and kind of st- stupid in some ways. But yeah, it's it's a very irritating feature that has... Um, yeah, you're right. Because of, of recent changes in, in the laws, um, you know, th- these commercials are absolutely bombarding you and i guess it's because these commercials have an unlimited budget if you if you look at these commercials they've recruited a lot of top hollywood celebrities um like jamie fox uh, aaron paul i think wayne gretzky does one Uh, i've seen a few other celebrities that are involved in this so the celebrities are paying top dollar for them to appear in these commercials, which, you know, maybe adds a bit more credibility to them, to the average person. Um, but yeah, they're just, they're everywhere. And, and it's not a good thing. Like it's, it's becoming where is betting on sports. Now it's considered to be that mainstream.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. That's a good point. Mainstream. Um, I think that's the whole purpose of these, because these, types of um, commercials is it's trying to bring a normalcy to being an, to being someone who gambles online. And uh, I've personally, as much as I hate these commercials, it's, it's infiltrating me a little bit in terms of, you know, maybe it would be interesting to bet on how many strikeouts uh, Kevin Gosman gets in a Mm -hmm. game or like it's starting to, infiltrate
1: a little bit. Um, it's, and that concerns me. It, it's interesting. Our previous discussion about the cute versus cuddly. So many years ago, they made a big deal about getting rid of, um, cigarette ads and stuff like that. <laughs> How is this? Yeah. This is really not that much, almost is equally as harmful because you are introducing a broader audience into the whole gambling world. And there is a lot of, of, danger and and a lot of destruction that that gambling can can bring upon you so if you are appealing to a broader audience and and drawing more people in that that normally may or may not have an interest in gambling um you know that this could lead to a serious issue down the road that nobody really talks about that much is is the dangers of of gambling like it's not just gambling in casinos because that's that's front and foremost in in your face, but you don't see the online gambling, and that's sort of like the the hidden dangers because there's a lot of people that could be putting themselves into an incredible amount of debt, putting stress on their their personal family lives, mental health. Um, it's it's a, yeah. it's a slippery slope, very dangerous to 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 make this so so mainstream now and. and Every other commercial has something to do with gambling. It's 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 not a not a good thing.
0: And, and too, they you know the disclaimer always comes in at the very end of of the commercial saying, "Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling addiction, you make you can call Canx or Can. I forget the name of the company. And and there's a little fine print at the bottom of the screen with the phone number to reach these people um it's just a throwaway right Mm -hmm. it's like you know you might be addicted to this and by the way there's some support by calling this 1-800 number Mm -hmm. and then they just kind of ended at that so what what annoys me more than anything though is that now i'm having to listen to sports broadcasts um it hasn't made it into the games like Like Dan Shulman, who is one of my favorite broadcasters, I've never heard him mention anything about some of this gambling stuff. And I would imagine it would turn his stomach. And he's probably told Sportsnet, I will not do this. But other shows, like sports shows where it's like a a host and a co-host, are actually bringing these into the broadcast Mm -hmm. and saying, what's the over-under on this game? Yeah. What's what's the parlay? And I don't understand all the terms. No, nor do I. Parlay. and. And you know what do you think is going to happen? And they're they're it's like they're educ they're be- the sportscasters are being forced to educate everybody and push the, all this conversation onto its listeners. Yeah, that and I'm really getting pissed yeah. off.
1: Yeah, no that that's a that's a great point because they do that prior to baseball games because if you watch the um, for Jay's broadcast, I think that the pregame show there's there's a, a short segment right before the games where they they talk about the betting line. And it's also done on, on the radio broadcast as well, on, on the Fan 590. There, there are segments where they just talk about yeah. Um, yeah. you know, the betting component. And I realize that there are some sports that betting has always kind of been there, like football. People seem to, to bet more on football than any other sport. But now baseball and hockey especially, that's sort of being brought into the fold as well where people are betting on every single aspect of the game and you're right it, it the fact that it's it's being um, i guess sort of merged into the everyday programming where you know the the whole over under and in the parlays as you said I I don't know what parlays mean e- either but I don't want yeah I don't want to know. I don't I don't care to know um but yeah it's it's so mainstream now and it's it's such a dangerous precedent, Uh, but it is, it's Um, so irritating to, to, to have to be exposed to this.
0: I'm passionate, almost, almost passionate enough about this to want to almost create some kind of movement to stop it. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: I'm serious. Like you're right. They wouldn't put smoking commercials on. They, they are even limited on what they can do with like alcohol. And obviously there's beer commercials and other things, but um, why is it they can, they can't advertise smoking, which I think is a very good reason why they shouldn't. The ga- gambling has destroyed more families probably than smoking mm. has.
1: Um, well, and why should it be? Why should it be given a pass? I don't like it. It comes down to the money because the government isn't going to do anything to stop that because well why
0: why did they stop smoking smoking was part of because of the money and
1: then they managed to stop it
0: yeah is it going to eventually happen do you think they'll stop betting commercials
1: i don't know i don't think so because there's too much money in it and you know you you look at the government and there's that they're allowing there's so much gambling around us in many different forms like you take a look at you know like the various lotteries out there um you know, Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation, all of the the various, you know, uh, Cash for Life and whatever, like the the hospital lotteries and all of that. The, we're exposed yeah. to that kind of world all around us and on almost every kind of commercial that we see. Um, if you really analyze the amount of commercials that we get exposed to in in an everyday, you know, broadcast, depending on what it is, especially if it's sports related. As we just talked about, um, I think you'd be surprised to see how many um, opportunities there are for people to to gamble in in one form or another, and the fact that the the government profits considerably from uh, from various forms of gambling, and I'm sure the the government profits from these um, from these online betting sites as well. I'm, I'm sure they take a percentage or or a certain amount of tax yeah. on that. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if it's different when it comes to health because that that's something that that ties up the hospital. So that's sort of a tangible thing that you see in terms of, you know, people in the hospital due to poor health, whether it's cigarettes or, you know, drinking or whatever. That that's a tangible thing that you can see the destruction. The, the gambling, you don't see that. You don't you don't see firsthand the destruction that that gambling creates. But No, it's
0: more hidden, but it's just as damaging.
1: Absolutely it is, yeah. But it's hidden. Not more. It's hidden, and people profit way too much from it. So not to sound conspiracy theorist on this, but that's what drives it. It really does.
0: And these things things aren't going away. Well, they better. Yeah. They better go away. Yeah. I want to see more people taking a stand. More on this. I might start a movement. Yeah.
1: So does that mean that Bet360 is not going to sponsor we talked about this? (laughs)
0: absolutely all not right. get the stay the away put
1: the line in the sand no no betting websites
0: i'm not pandering to money i'm no way i'll just continue to lose hundreds of dollars a year funding this podcast on my own um all right what we're watching what uh what are you watching these days paul
1: uh what i am currently watching is a netflix uh miniseries it's on it's called dahmer as in, it's about Jeffrey Dahmer, the the, oh the, the mass murderer. Uh, this was back in the early 90s. He was the, um, for those who may or may not remember him, but yeah, look him up to refresh your memory. But yeah, he, he murdered. What multi- is the name of the show? It's called Dahmer. So D-A-H-M-E-R.
0: Yes, because some people call him Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Yeah but it's actually Dahmer. And I, you know, for a serial killer, we bet we should be getting his name. Yeah. Right. Which you did do. Yeah. You, you do know
1: it's Dahmer. Yeah. So, so sorry, this, I, I this was a series that just recently got released on Netflix came out, I think within the last week or so it was released. And yeah, it's, it's got a lot of attention and, and um, you know, a lot of, a um, lot of support from, from critics saying that it, it's very accurate and, and very detailed and, and certainly very graphic.
0: Is this called Monster?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Monster,
0: Monster. the Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There you go. So yeah, thanks for correcting that. Um, Netflix. So yeah, he was the mass murderer that um, he targeted a lot of um, men within the homosexual community in Milwaukee, I believe, in the early 1990s. And um, you know, the very graphic detail of how he stored body parts in his apartment. so needless to say this isn't a feel-good show it's very intense um but
0: some for for some it might yeah
1: (laughs) it is uh it's so it's so well acted it's so creepy as well it is such a creepy show but it's one of those things where it it is a an excellent well so far i've only watched two episodes and and it's it's really good like I, i have i will recommend it um But it's one of those things where after you watch an episode, you got to watch a comedy afterwards to bring you back out of it. Um, Yeah,
0: my wife struggles with shows like this that, uh, you know, contain a sort of protagonist, if you will, that's like, not that everyone's necessarily rooting for him, Mm -hmm. but she struggles with these types of shows so i i don't know if this would enter our yeah,
1: it's, into our yeah i understand it, it's it's daily watching it's not for everyone i definitely will agree with that there's some people that may not have any desire to want to watch this show and i i trust me i get it um but it's it's so well acted. the uh, The lead actor, a guy called Evan Peters, plays uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, mm-hmm. and he's phenomenal mm-hmm. in this. Very, very good. So, um, if if you're wanting to watch something that's um, if if you're into that, like the whole true crime, um, it's a really good series. Um, but just keep in mind that it's it's um, it's it's a heavy topic. So brace yourself for it.
0: Okay. Uh, well, I've I didn't really have a better uh, well. I didn't really have a what we're watching for this segment, but I uh, will just mention that a friend of mine is, was just talking about the fact he's watching Breaking Bad, and you know that show has been off the air now for a few years, and, and he just started watching it. And I, he, I asked him who's his favorite character in the show, and he says the Saul character, the, the lawyer. And so I, I said, well, you know he has his own show, Better Call Saul, that's a spinoff which is like a prequel, I guess, to the series. And I just want to say I have watched, uh, I'm up to date on Better Call Saul, except for the most recent season that's being now released In weirdly that I can't get access to it yet. And I think until the whole season's out, I think they changed some of the rules. But Better Call Saul, if you like Breaking Bad, you may not necessarily like Better Call Saul because it's a little slower paced. And a lot of people like Breaking Bad because of, uh, Jesse and, and Walter White uh, but Better Call Saul is uh, I think fantastic it's a bit slower pace than Breaking Bad but it still has that Vince Gilligan edge to it um, so Better Call Saul would be the one that I'm not watching but I would recommend people to watch because uh, we've just been so busy with the real estate stuff that uh, I haven't really had any time to sit down and watch anything on TV
1: yeah, and that that's normal to during the summertime. I don't watch as much TV either, just everyone's so busy. So now that we're getting into the fall, fall and winter is kind of when most people start to hibernate a little bit and, and get caught up on TV shows. So um yeah, now that we're sort of getting into the the fall season, it's uh you know, a little bit more to talk about with respect to uh, you know, certain TV shows or stuff like that as to what we're watching. So it's good to know.
0: That's that's a real good way to end it. Um, we're going to try to just get more regular with our recording. Definitely want to talk a little bit more about the real estate stuff if people are interested. But uh, good to get caught up, Paul. And uh,
1: until next time on We Talked About This. Yeah, brought to you by Bet365. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There'll be none of that. None, none of that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, good to see you. Good, good to get caught up. And uh, yeah, we'll keep them coming. So Until next time.